when I was in seminary. I was fortunate enough that my class entered our program the same year that the school received a grant to provide financial advising to all of the students, which was a very good thing. And so all the students, it was mandatory that we worked with someone from Covenant Trust because school is very expensive. If you've ever paid for it, you know that. And they want students graduating with minimum debt. And my wife and I were actually quite excited to take advantage of the opportunity because one thing we had hoped to do, even while paying for school, was to somehow save something, to put something away. And so it was nice to talk to someone who knew more about it than we did. And so talking to one of the advisors, we were counseled not only on what we could put away concerning our walk of life, but also where to put it. What kind of account would be beneficial to us? What could we do with previous accounts from former jobs? Things like that. And I was pleased to find that there were options beyond the simple savings accounts that will give you 0.01% for the year. And because the money wasn't just sitting around, people were putting it to work, making sure it was invested in good places, according to a specific strategy that was discussed with you. And I was introduced to statements, not just the bank statements that show you money in, money out, detailed statements with charts and graphs and analysis on market trends and things like that and a bunch of other things that I pretend to understand, but it's good to know that somebody else understands it. Because they want to make sure that you know what they are doing with what you have given them. what you have given them to invest. In today's passage, Jesus talks to us about God's investments and what God expects from his investment. We are continuing our series, which we're calling With Eternity in Mind, where we're looking at passages that will challenge us and what is of ultimate importance to us. As Christians, we're supposed to have an eternal perspective on our entire lives. And today we hear Jesus talk about God's expectations concerning them. Jesus frames these expectations by telling us this parable of a man entrusting three servants with some of his money while he's on a journey. And the parable falls in a series of parables. If you read the rest of the section in the chapter where Jesus is illustrating kingdom principles as they relate to his his return after the resurrection. Our passage begins with again. It begins with again because he's telling another one. He's illustrating various aspects of that reality. The vigilance with which we're supposed to conduct our lives. And the principles about which we're supposed to be vigilant. And this story in particular speaks to God's expectations of us as his servants in terms of what we're supposed to be doing with what he has given us. And so Jesus tells us some things to keep in mind that will help us use what we have as God expects us to. Now you've probably heard this story if you've spent any significant amount of time in church as the parable of the talents. 
The most recent version of the NIV, which we read this morning, says bags of gold. Probably because the word talent far too easily connects with our modern use of the word in terms of skill and ability. In the technical sense, the word talent that is in our text is a weight measurement. And it was used to measure money. It could be used for large amounts of money, of silver or gold. And so in the context of money, one talent is the equivalent to about 20 years worth of wages for a day laborer. It's a lot of money. This parable could just as easily be titled the parable of the large sums of money. Bags of gold is what our current translators have decided on. All the same, it touches particularly heavy on what we're given and what we're supposed to do with it. And the opening verses tell us something right away that's instructive for how we are supposed to view what we have. Simply put, what we have is not ours. To state it another way, I heard another pastor put it. He simply told his congregation, let's get something straight here. You own nothing. Just to remove any sense of illusion otherwise. Jesus says, again, it, referring to the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Everything we have has been entrusted to us. That involves our abilities, to be sure, but it's not just our abilities. It involves our possessions, but it's not just our possessions. It's everything. It's our time. It's our money. Our power, our influence, our relationships. All of it has been entrusted to us. That doesn't mean you didn't work hard. Doesn't mean you didn't study hard. Simply means that even the means by which you did that was given to you. And so all of it, all you have, whether you had to work for it or not, has been entrusted to you. Because it's not ours, it begs the question, what are we doing with it? And Jesus then gives us essentially two ways of dealing with the things we have. Verse 16, he says, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. This first example we get of these two servants are examples of servants who put their money to work. They get started working going about work that results in doubling what they've been given. The other example is the third servant, who simply digs a hole and hides his master's money. The first two servants are praised with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And they are rewarded by being put in a position over even more things. The last servant is rebuked for not even depositing the money so as to yield any interest, not even the 0.01%. And so he's cast out where there is darkness and suffering. And Jesus uses language that calls to mind judgment and being cast out of his kingdom. 
What's the difference between servants one and two and servant three? The single word that sums up the difference is faithfulness. We are expected to be faithful. That's why the master says, well done, good and faithful servants. This is the faithfulness that as stated, is to live by the master's expectations in accordance with his principles. And so how are we supposed to put what we have to work? This section essentially tells us, this section of the gospel tells us we're supposed to use it for the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, as Matthew refers to it, kingdom of God in the other gospels. If you read the previous parable, it begins with, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And then Jesus tells the parable of the virgins. And in this parable, he says, again, it, referring to the kingdom, will be like. And if you keep reading, he expands on what faithfulness with what we're given looks like. You go on through the chapter. He tells the parable of the sheep and the goats and shows it is strongly tied to compassion for the needy, whom he identifies with when he says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Faithfulness uses what we have toward kingdom purposes, a big part of which is taking care of people. We take what we have and invest it in eternal things. Following Jesus brings the blessings of the kingdom, to be sure, into our lives. But that comes with responsibility to use what we have for his kingdom. As we talked about last week, God's kingdom is our priority. No matter our walk of life, we're supposed to be using all that we have and all that we are for the kingdom of God. Using those things in ways that will show people God's heart and God's rule and the holistic nature of our lives and the lives of other people and the holistic nature of the kingdom, it can make this feel daunting. Let me give you one challenge and one encouragement. First, the challenge. It's worth noting that the, last, the actions of the last servant of burying the money was a common measure of safety and security of the time. We are not called to be safe and secure. We're called to be faithful. In our faithfulness, God may keep us safe in the immediate sense. Or he may call us to things that might be dangerous. Might be dangerous to our possessions. Might be dangerous to our health, our relationships, our egos. Or it could very well be dangerous to our lives. As is often the case for many of our sisters and brothers. He may put us in places that leave us to trust only in the ultimate safety of knowing him and eternal life with him. 
Now, to be sure, that's a perspective we're always supposed to have. Let's not forget that Jesus' own faithfulness led him to his death. That's the Savior that we follow. Faithfulness requires sacrifice, which is why he tells us, if you seek to keep your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Now let, let us be encouraged. It also says he gave to each according to his ability. Faithfulness for you may not look like faithfulness for someone else. It's easy to get discouraged if you start comparing yourself with other people. When it looks like somebody might be doing more than you. It's easy to get arrogant if you compare yourself with someone who looks like they might be doing less. This passage doesn't leave any room for that. There's no room for comparison in the kingdom of God. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room for self-deprecation. You are held accountable for what you've been entrusted with, which is different than what someone else has been entrusted with, which is different than what I have been entrusted with. Eyes on your own paper. By all means, be encouraged by one another. But be careful that you don't compare yourself by what faithfulness looks like to someone else. And so ask yourself, what do you have? How can you use it for the kingdom? Are we using our money to give to the less fortunate? Are we using our homes to show hospitality? Are we offering people rides with our vehicles? Are we using our strength to serve? Are we using our time to pray? These are the questions that are going to inform what we can be doing with what we've been entrusted with. This passage is meant to lead us to live with the expectation of our Lord's return. And Jesus teaches in these passages that after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, he will return and hold people accountable for how they live. Now, if you haven't noticed, it's been about 2,000 years since Jesus' death and resurrection. He could come back tomorrow or in another couple thousand years. We don't know. He says only the Father knows. And so if anyone tells you otherwise, they are either lying or they are misinformed. But here's the thing. Whether we live to see our Lord's return or not, one way or other we're going to meet him. And how we view his teachings and lordship now will determine how that meeting goes. Now, we Protestants often get nervous when Jesus asks us to do things because foundational to our faith is recognizing that we're saved by grace through faith. That is absolutely true. And so, sometimes we get nervous thinking maybe if we even think about the doing, we might fall into the trap of trying to earn God's grace. That's not what this is about. It is by God's grace that we even get to participate in his purposes. It's not a problem for Matthew in his gospel because for Matthew, genuine faith results in faithfulness. 
That's why it's called faithfulness. Even in the original, the language, the roots are the same. And so for the follower of Jesus, meeting Jesus face to face, it's supposed to be an event of hope because faithfulness allows us to share in our master's happiness by the grace of God. We talked last week about storing up treasures in heaven by prioritizing the kingdom. But when we live for the kingdom, even today, we get the taste of sharing in our Lord's joy. The master of the parable says to the faithful servants, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I do believe that these words speak to future reward, but I don't think that they only speak to future reward. Because the kingdom is now, and not yet, here today in part, one day to be forever in its fullness. We who follow Jesus, we came to faith in him because we fell in love with him, some way or other. And chances are that was through someone's ministry that brought some aspect of God's kingdom into our lives. All of us have ministries where God has placed us. All of us have opportunities to be part of bringing God's kingdom into people's lives and to share in our Lord's happiness as people come to know him better. Jesus' words also show that as we are faithful, we put ourselves in position to be placed over greater opportunities for faithfulness, opportunities to share in even more of God's joy. Someone once told me something I'll never forget. I may have shared it with you before. He said, if you want to do ministry, find where you can set up chairs. What he was essentially saying was, if you want to minister in big ways, find the opportunities to be faithful now. Even if they're small, even if no one sees it happening. That's also a reflection of how things work in our spiritual lives. If you're feeling stuck, if you hit a plateau in your relationship with God, it might be worth considering that one way to move forward perhaps might be to consider what opportunities for faithfulness have I not yet tapped into? Because those might be opportunities for growth, to walk alongside God in his work. What we have been given is an investment from God that he expects us to invest in eternal kingdom purposes. As money managers check in with their investors periodically to show what they're doing with their money, it might be a good idea for us to check in with God in a more personal way to be sure, but ask, what have you given me? What are the opportunities around me? How do you want me to use what I have for you?
And there may be places where the Holy Spirit may challenge us to perhaps give more or serve more or love more. But with that, there may also be encouragement to take stock in what God has done in you and through you in your faithfulness. What places have you been able to share in God's joy and join in making his kingdom known more and more? Where is he using you to make a kingdom impact on somebody's life? With our faithfulness comes opportunities for greater investment. Greater faithfulness and greater joy. And it comes now, but also with the hope of one day eternal reward. Getting to meet our Savior face to face and hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And who doesn't want to hear that? Let's continue worshiping.